This week, Comics in Motion has an excellent offer exclusively for our listeners. TKO Comics is revolutionizing the comic industry. They have creator-owned series from heavy hitters like Garth Ennis, Jeff Lemire, Joshua Desart, Roxanne Gay, and many more. If you go to tkopresents.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the code motion20 at checkout, you'll receive a 20% discount exclusively for Comics in Motion listeners. That's tkopresent.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the promo code motion20. Happy reading. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now... The third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Welcome to another episode of Indie Comics Spotlight, the show where we spend time looking at an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. The hope here is that we can do a deep dive on an indie comic you may have missed or give you a chance to talk about one of your favorites with us on social media afterwards. I'm your host, Tony Farina of DC Comics News and Fantastic Universes. I've been reading comics since I was 12, and while I love a good superhero battle, I gravitate towards indie comics and standalone graphic novels because they give artists a chance to connect with readers in different ways and tell stories they may not have been able to tell with traditional comics or traditional novels. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Okay, everybody, welcome. Uh, my guest this week is the co-host of the spectacular show on this very network, Comics in Motion. It's called Superhero for Dummies, and Paul McGuigan, please... Please, everybody, give him a warm welcome to Indie Comic Spotlights. Paul the Mac, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much. It is an absolute honor to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm, hey, I am excited. We've now, you, we've just got to get Luke on, and then I'll have had the whole team. <laughs> so um, I, am, I am so excited. I, first of all, I love your show and the premise of your show. And Dan told me a little bit about it when he was on, but I want to talk a little bit about that and then your kind of comic book origin story, what you like and don't like, and how you came to, to know. Really, I didn't ask Dan or Steve this, so I would love to hear how you guys even got to know each other. Because the thing that I love the most about your show is how you guys are such pals, and it comes across like you guys are, you, you have slang sometimes and just kind of, you can finish each other's sentences, which is cool. Yeah. That's a good show. Um, the chemistry is really great there. So, so how did you guys even get to know each other and then, you know, why comics? What is your, on the show, you're the, you're the know the least amount. Yeah, guys. I have declared myself the super dummy. And okay. I'm going to put it out there right away. That is not a bit. Genuinely, okay. I know nothing. Okay, what you, what you hear on Superheroes for Dummies is what I am. Um, I've learned a lot from Steve and Dan just in the episodes we've done. But genuinely, I'm coming from an absolute starting point of zero. So if Tony has to drag me along here, I apologize, everyone. But hopefully, no. We'll <laughs> I, well, based on just our chats on Twitter, our private chats, I, you're, we're going to be fine because you've read this. This is an amazing book that we're going to talk about today. So, um, so, so, like you said, you know nothing. But I mean, you must like be aware of comic book and superhero lore 
like it's in your or has it never been something that was always like a Steve and Dan thing and they're like well they're my pals so I'll I'll play along yeah so you asked how we met it's yeah. actually through my wife weirdly enough so my wife knows um Steve and his wife for basically as long as she can remember um, they used to live next door to her auntie and she was oh, nice. always babysitting. So they got to know each other from a really young age. And then it was also my wife that knew Dan. Um, they were, they've been good friends for probably looking 10 years now or maybe more. Um, so when we got together, that's how I got to meet Dan. And then it was through, again, through us that Dan and Steve got to meet. So between the three of us, we've probably known each other four or five years now nice. um, and it's all down to my darling wife so well her. tell her thank you because definitely that's an excellent show <laughs> and, and so because you you call yourself the super dummy so what is it just um like superheroes and comics in general just weren't something you just had time for or you were like eh, you know you're into other things i mean everybody not everybody does most people don't right most people don't i mean not no, our, obviously but most people in the world um, they don't get super into this stuff. So what was it about it? Yeah, I think I always had an interest, but none of my friends, none of my peer group um, through school, none of them really read comics. I was thinking about this the other day, and I think there was only one friend of mine um, in high school who started reading comics in the last couple of years. And I think um, that was Gundam Wing, the sort of anime robot style thing. But even then he was mostly into the tv shows the comic books mm -hmm. are kind of a side thing for him other than that i can't think of a single person that i knew growing up that read comics um so i read like the beano which sort of more the humor magazine um and asterix but that was kind of it i always knew about superheroes i had a sort of a vague interest but for whatever reason i just never really got into it and never never kind of crossed my path yeah. Well, so honestly, a lifetime to catch up on. <laughs> you do, but honestly, there's two things about that. One, because it makes for your show, your guys' show, to be so much more authentic because you're all coming at it from different ways. Like you said, it's it's not a it's not a gimmick, and and, you, and because you're not against it, you're not um, you're not like the hater. You're not on there being yeah. like, that's lame. No, you're generally like, well, this is cool. I mean, when you guys had Matt Lloyd, Matt Lloyd on Matt is a rock star. Yes. I had amazing. him on and it was like going to school, right? You just sit and listen to him yeah. tell you things. It's amazing. And, um, uh, you know, and, and what was cool about it is you're like open to that. You're like, man, damn, I didn't know any of that. And so it's, um, it, that adds to a fun dynamic to the show. But then the other thing too is, is, is you, just like anything you read for the first time or experience for the first time, this is a whole new, you know, um, avenue of entertainment for you, whether it's well, comics or movies or whatever. So that's a cool thing to get to experience, you know, something you didn't, because, you know, I can never go back to being 12 and read my first yeah. comic again. That's already happened. And I, it would be fascinating to see that as an adult. What would I have thought of that Green Lantern comic? I'm 47. You know, I don't know. I'll never know. So it's cool. No. Yeah, it is. It's really exciting to sort of experience things afresh, but you're also experiencing it with sort of adult eyes as well at the same time, which I think a lot of people don't, get to have because you know you get into it as kids and you look at it as kids and then yeah as you grow up you may re-look at some of the stuff that you read before and it looks different to you but being able to see it for the first time with those eyes it is quite it's quite fun and also to see 
kind of to see it from the point of view there were people that were writing it and drawing it you kind of understand their experiences in life more so when you look at things i mean like <laughs> like the comic we're talking about today i mean getting into the mind of the people that created it <laughs> what, <laughs> what what was going on there <laughs> yeah we'll have a lot to talk about yeah no for sure and and i think it's um when we talk about it and we'll jump right into that in a second but uh, I, I agree. And it, for me, it's fun. I'm writing um, Scott Weatherly, who's friend of the show, the 20th yeah. Century Geek himself. He, um, he's putting together a collection of, of critical essays on Dread, Judge Dread for a book. And oh, I'm, wow. I'm working on one of those essays. Um, Scott, it's almost done. I keep telling you it's almost done, but I promise. <laughs> I keep going down research rabbit holes. Like, I think I know what I want. And then I like, oh, I need one more article. And then I start doing that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to delete these thousand words I've written and start over. So that's, I, I, I should be done. I've probably written three times the number of the word count that I'm supposed to have. <laughs> I just keep deleting. But um, the cool thing about that is, um, because for me, I didn't experience dread until I was older, because that was 2008 didn't exist over here. So wow. I am coming at that essay from a totally different perspective of I can be really hypercritical of it. Um, and that's been a lot of fun for me too. So this show has really, doing this has really branched out um, that for me personally. So I totally get where you're coming from, but it also makes me go back and say like, well, I read this comic, like this comic we're gonna talk about, this came out. I graduated from high school in 1991. So that's uh, when this okay. was happening. Yeah. And so a friend of mine, who's actually gonna be on in a few weeks, um, we're gonna cover Tink Girl. Um, he was the one who got me into this. And we would go into the comic shops and be like, man, where is hard boiled? Where is hard boiled? And he would like get super antsy to get it because it didn't, it was only three issues, but it took him three years to do. So he would get super antsy about it. And so I only knew of this because of him. So it was always kind of as a casual fan, like I knew who Frank Miller was, but um, as a casual fan of this, so coming back to it thinking, how am I going to approach this now as a person who's as some sort of indie expert, it was... <laughs> Fine, blowing. I'm like, oh man. So I'm glad we're doing it. So I appreciate um, that comment and what you're saying. I think it's totally true. So yeah, let's talk. Let me give everybody a little, um, just a short thing. So the book we're doing is Hard Boiled, as I said, by Frank Miller. It's drawn by Goff Darrow or Jeff Darrow, probably is how it's said. And um, it was published by Dark Horse over three years, but it's only three issues. And yet, Jeff and, and Frank actually won the Eisner in 1991 for best writer artist for a series, but it wasn't a series. Generally, if you win an Eisner for a, an ongoing series, it means it's ongoing. It, it not, you know, like for you to, so, for, so that speaks to the power of this book that they win wow. an Eisner award when there was really maybe two issues out at that point in time. So bananas. Um, and I'm not going to really get into the plot because I think that'll be part of our fun conversation. So I, you said, what should we do? And we had talked about maybe doing Sin City. And um, I'm going to save Sin City for like my, my 50th episode. So we, you and I talked about Frank Miller. And I was like, well, there's this Frank yeah. Miller. Um, so what did you, like when you first started to give me your first impressions of it as you were reading, um, how did you read it? Did you read it all at once? Or did you have to stop and like, because you got sensory overload? What'd you think? <laughs> I think the first time I managed to get through, we've got the collection, um, but I got through effectively the first issue um, and I was able to read two and three together. And it's funny because you said, what, what were my first impressions? When I looked at the cover, weirdly, the first thing um, 
that came to my head was Total Recall. I don't know why, but I think it's sort of the dystopian feel of it. And then it wasn't until I actually started reading it that I realized, that, oh, actually, there's a bit more to that than I thought. Yeah. But yeah, this is, trying to, <laughs> reading just the first issue, I don't know how people did it at the time. Because you get through the first one and then you're just left thinking, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> I do not understand. You can't get a grip of it. There's so many just loose ends that you can't get around in your head <laughs> but it's also yeah. so amazing you're sitting there thinking i want to know what's going on i want to see more of this but it's just not letting you and yeah, how people right. did it at the time like how you did it being in school waiting for the next issue to come out i, I feel sorry for you <laughs> <laughs> it was you know for for us this was a dark horse comics um those are more expensive, right? Than, than the, your traditional DC or at the time. Um, and even still now, you know, all comics are a little more expensive. So it was like a prestige comic anyway. Um, so probably making us wait allowed us to be able to afford it. Um, but I think, I think it's one of those situations where you were just kind of used to going to the comic shop, um, maybe not even every not every week, sometimes you may only go once a month or once every two months. And we all had like pull, uh, pull files, like our local comic shop owner, you'd come in and you'd have a list and that person um, would pull it. And so okay. this stuff would just kind of be waiting. So because the town where we grew up was small, like a tiny little shit town um, in Michigan. So we had to go over a few towns over. So we couldn't always just go. It wasn't just a jump in the, you know, it wasn't just let's walk over. Um, so I think it was just we kind of gotten in the habit of having to wait. Yes, it sucks to have to wait years for something. That is yeah. hard. But you also are just like, well, when you finally get what you get, it's so amazing. And it almost um, allows you to go back and revisit it a few more times before the next one comes in. So while you're definitely hanging, uh, you're more invested, too. Yeah, that is true. You know? Um, because of the detail. Now, I have a digital version of it. I shared the digital version of yes. it with you. That actually, seeing it that way with the digital version, did you do any of the enhanced view where you'd blow it up? I did, yeah. What I did, did you think of that? Because, of course, when I read it, it was just a comic. It was a page. Well, also, the, isn't the second issue has been recolored, I've read? Yes, correct. So the one that you initially would have done has a different look. And I've... Yep. <laughs> It's difficult, <laughs> I found, to try and find pictures of the original. But I think the only way to describe it is the second edition is a lot more detailed in the colouring. And it just every single panel, as you say, you can, on the digital edition, you can, it brings you into the panel and just, you could sit there for ages looking at the tiny details. Um, like I've got one here with a car crashing through a fence and you could go through it and every single little fold of the car is there. And every it's... single little bit of the fence is there and everything. I, I can understand why it took them three years. Yeah. <laughs> it took me three years to do one of them. It's insane. The amount of work that Darrow does, he's the star yeah. of this book. And no offense, I know Frank Miller is the first ballot Hall of Famer, and we all get that. But Darrow is the hero of this book. And, and I think we'll probably, as we talk, spend most of our time talking about him. Yeah. Um, but I think we obviously need to talk about the story. We need to talk about Carl and what, you know, what the commentary Miller is making as well. 
but you're right. The, the, um, right on page one, right? The first time you see Carl, it's like what page five, he's kicking in the hood of a car yeah. and you see it fold in around him. And if you look in that panel, this is like the cover page, everybody. So when you look at hard boiled, there's a lot of splash pages in this and it kind of needs splash pages so that they're big panels with a lot happening. But sometimes there's just big panels. There's just one thing happening. And like the big guy in the tub with the mermaids, <laughs> um, you know, and so, but on the back of this car, Frank is, or Car Frank, no, sorry, Carl is kicking in this car. And the car, if you zoom in, it's called a Jesus Chrysler. That's the brand name of the I haven't car. I <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, what? And, yeah. and it's, it's so small that there's no way I would have caught any of that stuff. Um, and in, in the back window, there's, um, there's a cigarette that's flying around because he's stopped the car. So suddenly there's some change. There's tiny bits of, I don't even know what, but even it looks in like a bomb life, and a, yeah. <laughs> and a cassette audio cassette. There's a gun for sure. Yeah. But there's things in there that even in real life, if they were sitting in your car, they probably wouldn't be bigger than a fingernail. Right. Some of the things on here. And he's gone to all of that detail. Yeah. Now, I, I did read, I was doing a little bit of research and I yeah. did read somewhere that um, when Miller started to see um, the art that he was doing, he completely changed the writing. He took off probably half of the dialogue and because he just decided that this is the way it has to go. And the amount of detail in the dialogue, it just wasn't going to match. The two weren't going to go together. And for someone to go to someone and say, I've got this creation. Would you like to draw it for me? Oh, and by the way, you just made it better. So I'm going to change what I wanted to do with it. I mean, that's incredible. It is. And I think it, um, the book is better for that, uh, without a doubt, because there's, there's still plenty of talking. There's a lot of exposition and things are explained, but because it's such an action thriller kind of, yeah. and we'll talk about its comparison to Total Recall, which came out way before. I mean, like the movie Total Recall, but the, but the, the story, the Philip Dick story, we'll remember it for you, wholesale, came out way before, you know, any of this. And I think there was definitely a nod to that Philip Dick story uh -huh. and to the concept. And I don't remember, this was 91. Was that when? Was Total Recall like 87? 88? You can attest my knowledge there. I don't, I'm not sure. I, I'm just spitballing <laughs> it. So we were in, both in front of the internet. So I could have just looked it up and sounded smart. Um, yeah, where's the fun in that? that. <laughs> <laughs> no fun. No fun in knowing what the fuck you're talking about. No, exactly. But I feel like you're absolutely right. The, um, that idea of, of layered memory. But I think because it becomes a visual story, like you're saying, he, let, he turned it over to Darrow. It, um, it works better. So he just, he tells a story. There's like some, or there's like seven or eight pages in a row with no words. Yeah. And we don't miss anything. And we know that, that Miller still writes the direction. He's like, in this panel, do this, and this panel, do this. But there's no way, it's, it's almost as though Darrow took a picture of somebody's inside of your brain of what, what you could think this could be, and then ratcheted up to a thousand. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's been put it better myself. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's bananas. It's hard when you sometimes when you read something that's so good, it's hard to say anything about it because you're just all you want to do is say how awesome it is. Um, yeah. So I'll ask a question because I think Carl is kind of a dick. Um, so let's talk about Carl as a character. But 
is it his fault? And that's the question. So what do your what do you take? Let's let's just talk about Carl. There's three layers of Carl. So you bringing up Total Recall is great. So people, everyone who's listened to this has probably seen Total Recall. Whether you've seen the Schwarz, everybody's seen the Schwarzenegger version. Some people have seen okay. the the newer version. Few people have probably read the book. But the idea is all the same in all three. So there's a guy who thinks he knows who he is and he's having dreams about another life. But then in reality, there's a third thing. Is that, you think that's a yeah. good explanation, Paul? Yeah, so from my account, I've been, I think he's called himself or he's been called by four different names. Yeah. Five different names. Is it, is it five? Because you have unit four, you have Nixon, you oh, have Nixon. Carl Seltz. Yep. And then whilst he's in the car, he also keeps referring to Harry Burns and he gets Harry Burns and Carl Seltz mixed up along the lines. So <laughs> in different points of the story, he is all these different people. And even and he's, he's not sure who he is. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he even stands. As I say, there's one point where he's convinced he's both people at the same time. Correct. But really, he's unit four. Yeah. That's, what he, that's who he really is. Yes. Yeah, so he's unit four. Who is Nixon? Who is Carl Seltz? Who is also Harry Burns? Right. Is that all of them? I think that's right. I think you've got it. So what do you make of all of those people? Like, what do you think of him as a, as a character? Is he sympathetic because he's of the memory loss or is he a dick because he's a dick? I'm sympathetic to unit four. The rest are a bit of a dick. <laughs> Fair. Talk about elaborate. You've got Unit 4 who it's not completely explained, but it appears to be Unit 4 is a robot who has been created basically as an assassin, a corporate assassin. Um, So he's there just to get rid of all the enemies of the corporation that created him. But to do that, to make sure he doesn't rebel, they've injected memories into him. Firstly, it appears of someone called Nixon, but we don't get to learn too much about Nixon. Then someone, or possibly two people at the same time, Carl Seltz and Harry Burns. And it's sort of those are the personalities that we see the most of. And that's really the struggle he has. But on being told this, he doesn't, feel sorry for the other robots he doesn't want to try and help the situation he basically just goes a bit bonkers and then given the opportunity to fix it he kind of gives it a go and then just goes yeah i've had enough of this i've had enough so you know just send me back just send me back and that that's the moment that you feel the worst for unit four is when he realizes it is so to me, it's a tragedy, right? You're, I, I could not agree more with all of your assessment. I think that Unit 4 is tragic. He is not even, he has no humanity at all. There's a commentary there on the, um, you know, what, what it means to be alive, of course. Anytime there's a sentient robot in anything that we read, whether it's comic books or movies, books, a sentient robot, we're supposed to then have thinking about ourselves like are we sent you know what does that mean and and when do we quit becoming sentient robots as it were and become our own people like our children 
we tell our children what to do. Our bosses kind of tell us what to do. We're, yeah. we're all puppets. And um, at some point in time, so unit, unit four is literally a weapon. Like you said, he's an assassin. Um, he works for a, what, um, an appliance company. Yeah, which is something <laughs> in itself. <laughs> Well, in 1990, right, when they, in 91, when they wrote this, um, and I don't know how old you are, Paul, but like in America anyway, like Best Buy and Circuit City were everywhere. And it was like genuinely um, problematic. And it wasn't just like Best Buy and Circuit City. Like people would even pick which ones they, like, oh, I don't, Best Buy's shitty. I only go to Circuit City. What the fuck do you care? Like, if they're both selling the same TV, I don't understand what you're talking about. There's a $10 cheaper, so it's a cr literally across the mall, so just go get it. Um, but in it, like, there was a lot of that in America. It wasn't just um, Best Buy and Circuit City, which is kind of who took over. So the commentary on how we're going to allow technology to rule us, I think, is yeah. where, you know, reason it's an appliance company. And, of course, they have androids that they design that go to kill the other competitors stuff which then of course you also know that that means that their competitors must also have assassin droids out there destroying and killing and if you think of all the stuff that, that carl nixon harry breaks in this book it all has to be replaced yeah too you know and then where you go to replace it yeah you go to this fucking appliance store that runs, that runs yeah. everything <laughs> So you gotta go you know so it's it's one of those um like you feel like in every superhero movie the person who really makes out as a bandit is the person who's in the window replacement business. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, you're, if you yeah, have to figure out how to make a killing, move to Metropolis and get into window replacement. <laughs> you are going to be rolling. Rolling in the dough. Job uh, for life. <laughs> no doubt. You're just going to have to get your own glass factory and get going. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I think that's why. That's why it is. But, but anyway, my point is, it's like, as, a, as an employer, you and I were talking a little bit off air about the things mm -hmm. about work, like some of the things that people at our works do. And you're like, well, that's just the thing that we do at our place and we do it this way and your place does it that way. And we as employees have our own thoughts on that. We're like, well, maybe we would do it differently, whatever it is. And we all, everyone feels this way. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but there's also like, well, I would like to keep my job. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to do that. So is there something about that too, the commentary that Miller is making about like being a working, working class person? You're, you're kind of literally always at the mercy of someone. Yeah. One of the people that I feel most sorry for, weirdly, is Norman. Yeah? The little tech guy. Why is that? <laughs> poor old Norman. <laughs> he just seems like, as you say, he's just, he's got a job. He and he doesn't want to lose his job. And he also probably doesn't want to be killed by the corporate assassins. Correct. And he's, he's getting connected into all of this and all this is going on. He's seeing all the destruction that's being caused. And he's just kind of sheepishly going around saying, so um, this is happening, by the way, yeah. just to let you know. <laughs> and then he gets flushed down the toilet. <laughs> Poor old Norman. Like, I feel like Norman is my spirit animal. Yeah, yeah. Do you think... <laughs> Just get on with it and is he supposed to be our is he supposed to be all of us like the person sitting in the corner like the voice of reason i think so i think he is like the most the but yeah he's the person that is all of us we can see ourselves in him we're just doing our jobs 
watching the death, the destruction around us, hopefully not literally for most of us in our jobs. Right. Um, and we're just doing as we're told, getting along with it. And then someone comes along, flushes us down the toilet. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of less like, <laughs> well, I love that you bring that up because the scene that I wanted to talk about, the thing that was a little on the nose, being flushed down the toilet. But there's a scene in book one when Carl is being rebuilt. So the opening yes. panel of this book, Carl is is chasing somebody. He's driving. He drives through some weird public orgy that's in a boxing ring. He's driving off roads. He's smashing up people. He's he's just destroying everything. And so as he's being rebuilt, there's literally a one page. It's not a splash page. It's just a standard single page, but it's a one panel page um, where he is um, literally being crucified. Yeah. And behind him, I mean, it, it, you couldn't make it more, um, it was a little on the nose, right? You're like, oh, look, he's hanging on a cross and there's all these people around him kind yeah. of looking away. Um, yeah, none of these people really care. Because it's funny, there's, um, there's another panel in, in this whole scene, it's uh, the page two or three before, where it, it was a bit jarring at first. You see where they first bring him in and the doctor, where is it? The doctor says, look at him, we'll be up all night. Yeah. And then she gets ready and then she looks around and there's someone smoking in the corner. There's another person just sort of lounging there with um, a can of drink on, on the equipment. Yeah. And it, it just feels like she's the one person again in the whole thing that cares about what's going on. And yeah, then you get him in this, it is, it's a crucifixion pose. Yeah. And they're all kind of looking away as if there's normal day for them. And, and that to me is such a shock because the first time through, you don't know that he's not human. You just keep thinking no. like, how is it that this man can go through all of this? Like as a reader, you're thinking, what is it about Carl that allows him or Nixon or whatever his name is, what is it that allows him to, to persevere. Like he's got glass sticking out of his head at one point and he's yeah. got like spikes through his shoulder and he's just bloody and he just, he, but I, I'm a tax collector and he just keeps going <laughs> and he, that's what he thinks he is. And he just keeps going and he just keeps going and he's this relentless thing. And in that moment that you described, the doctor looks at him and sees him as a human and we still yeah. see him as a human. And so there's two creepy as fuck things that happen on that page that you described. The one, like the look on the doctor's face as the only person who cares. But then when you look at the tool that's descending yeah. onto Carl's head and there's like, I don't know, there's little mini chainsaws and there's like scalpels and there's um, needles and all kinds of crazy shit that's in there. And then there's a glass dome that has like babies and Snickers in it. What is yeah. that? How is the machine run by babies and Snickers? What the fuck is that? What did you yeah. think of that? I think, what did I think of that? <laughs> I'm still <laughs> trying to work out what I think of that. I think it's the early 90s and especially in America. I mean, I, you, you said you didn't know how old I was. I was born in 87. So a lot of this oh, okay. is just from what I've, I hear. Sure. But in the early, early 90s, especially in America, you've got the whole thing about the big corporations, the big logos, the big names. But there's also a lot of um, 
the debate over life. And I don't know if this is just a, you know, a view of this is what we're turning ourselves into. I, I really, it's, it's odd. <laughs> I'm still, I'm really not sure what I think of it. I mean, what, what about you? What do you see when you look at that? Well, the, it's, the fetus is in there, the babies that are in there. There's another scene where, um, when you see the giant, fat, slothy guy who runs the company, who, um, and he's got two mermaids, I don't yeah. know, washing his nipples or whatever. If you look, normal life. <laughs> so if you look at his machine, it's the same thing at the very top. He's got yeah. cans of soda, hot dogs, french fries, and babies. And so the first thing, there's already babies there too. So you're like, okay, so are they, is the commentary like where, and this world is jank, it's dirty, and it's, there's no place, to, there's no space, there's literally every panel that's out in the world, there's filth, there's people yeah. doing drugs, there's people getting murdered, there's people just having orgies on the street, it's a crazy dirty place. So it's, it, my only thought that I could come up with is like, he's genuinely having a commentary, like what you're saying, that it's a, if you're such a pro-life country, if, you're, if you believe in life, well, why are you destroying everything? Like it's um, the argument that you hear a lot about people who are pro-life, who are like anti-abortion, you're like, you will do anything to protect that baby when it's inside the mother. But once it's out, it can go yeah. fuck itself and you're not gonna give it um, food stamps. You're gonna take its food stamps away and you're not gonna give it public housing and you're not gonna give it free school. You're not gonna wear a mask. Right, you're not going to wear a goddamn mask. And so I, that was the only thing I could think. You know, honestly, I didn't remember the babies from my first read. So that was something that this time, seeing the babies, it, so it, it was lost on me as a 17, 18-year-old. Um, but as a 47-year-old, I couldn't get past it. So that was what I was thinking. We were, you know, on the same page. Like, there's this, there's this thing about the, the way that life, air quote, is being treated. Um, in this entire book, so we might as well just have a have a machine that's powered with babies and Snickers and hot dogs and all the shit that exists in the world that you that you do to damage the world. You're damaging the children's lives anyway, so you might as well just use them as a yeah. power source. I, bananas. Yeah, it is. It's because it's funny you say that. That it's the disregard for life is throughout. Like, oh. not just, you know, in the killing and the murdering and the orgies and everything, but just also the, the reactions to people in the street. There is none. none. We have pages and pages of fight scenes and shooting going on in the streets and people just don't bat an eyelid. It's only until the one scene where they're on the subway when people start reacting to the violence around them because I suppose they're in an enclosed space. But otherwise... It's just all normal to them. It's completely normal life. No one reacts to it at all. No, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. No. But isn't that the way? Isn't that the way, though? Um, we, yeah, that's true. We, we do that all the time. It's, it's to me, the violence in this is, it's like stomach churning in some, and um, it's, it's such a futuristic hellscape. <laughs> but it's also... The people in this, they don't know any other way. Like, this is the way that they live. This is the world. Yeah. So you get up and you live in the world. And, and it's that turning a blind eye to things that somebody else will take care of that. It, in my country, with all of the, um, you know, 
all of the videos of, of people doing terrible things to each other, I always, I'm thankful that someone took the time to record it so that there's a video evidence of someone doing something terrible. But that also means that someone just stood there. Yeah. Someone was watching and didn't do anything. And did nothing. And you know, for every one person, and it's one thing if it's like a 16-year-old, you know, standing there, take because, you know, he's like, I'm not going to go get my ass kicked by the cops. Yeah. But this is the best I can do. And, 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 but there's also, for every one person's video we see, we also know there's 40 other people just standing around. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a hard thing to do. Do you risk, that's a question I feel asking myself as I read this is, would I be any different? Would I just want to get home? What are the things I put my blinders on every day that I don't, I don't get out and I vote, of course. I vote with my money. If, if there's a company that I don't like, I don't spend my money on that company. I, if, if there's a sports team owner who I think is doing something terrible, I won't watch that team. You know, I do like little think the little thing, but what yeah. is that? It's what I do because it's how I feel about it. But would I get involved? I mean, sure, I'd pull a kid out of the street if I thought she was going to get run over by a car. I would totally do that. But if I, want, if I saw Frank, this machine, which you don't know he's a machine, or Frank, I keep calling him Frank because it's Frank Miller's name, Carl, yeah. if I see him out there literally punching the window in a car, am I going to get involved? I don't, I don't know. No. Would you? No. <laughs> no. And that, I guess that is the next logical step. We, now we don't get involved in however many years time do we just ignore it and carry on about our lives like i mean now if something like that were to happen we'd all sort of look be in horror take a video hide but how long is it until we all just sort of stand there and watch right or we don't watch at all yeah and then like we because the people in this book aren't watching at all they're just no. walking by and it's it's oblivious i mean literally I'm sorry if, and I'm no prude, but if, if I were walking down the street and there was a boxing ring and there was an orgy happening in it, that would catch my attention. Good, bad, or indifferent. I'd be like, huh, there's the thing that's happening. That's super weird. But it goes beyond just an orgy in a boxing ring. It's like on every street corner, there's, it, there's sex happening. There's, yeah. there's filth. There's muggings. There's terrible things happening. And, and we, it's, it's sensory overload for us, the viewer, on, on purpose, I feel like, right? Um, but yeah, nobody in this world even looks at all. And uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know how far away do you think we are from this. I mean, he wrote this in the 90s. He was definitely, this was pre-cell phones. So he, he had already, whatever version of the universe this was in, he already saw us move right past that into yeah. being only looking out for number one. Are we headed there? I mean, you live in England. Was the whole Brexit thing like that? Was it like, fuck our neighbors? I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to make this super political, but I think there's a commentary <laughs> there about that, right? Like, I live in Florida, man, and we're an embarrassment. I'm embarrassed every day to say, man, I fucking live in Florida because my governor's an idiot. We're doing stupid shit. They're forcing kids back to school, and we're all supposed to just look away while people are dying, and it's infuriating. I don't think... In England, we're quite as close as possibly you are in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably fair. <laughs> um, like, yeah, like you say, in the, the whole Brexit thing, it did cause issues. And there were people in the street and there was 
you know, all the things that you heard about in the news. But at the same time, there was just as many on the other side sort of saying how wrong it was. And I think that's, that's where we're at. And you have to start worrying when the people that say it's wrong are lower in number than the people that are causing all the issues. Um, and especially from the media, I mean, that's sometimes what the impression that you get of what's going on in the States at the minute is that there's a lot of people saying it's wrong, but nowhere near enough. So is it plausible we could get to that situation? Yeah, completely. I mean, even yeah. for, for someone who lives in, um, in England, um, probably five, six years ago, when we were out in um, Las Vegas, we were going down, walking down the street, going towards the university area, I think. And there's a guy open carry with his gun on his hip. Now, for me, I immediately looked and went, oh, hang on. <laughs> that's not normal yeah yeah but obviously for the people that live out there it is more normal they you know well maybe not normal but they half expect it yeah you know las vegas pass in in in, in certain states you more than expect it yeah it's, absolutely yeah. if we were in texas and we walked into a bar and there was 10 people with guns we would probably go that's probably normal for here for sure it is you're right um so I don't know, is it just expectation? Are we at a point that we're getting closer and closer to that point? I don't know. I don't either. And it, it's, it's, and that's, what's amazing about this. It's, you know, it's a comic book. It's called hard boiled, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's supposed to be, you know, like when you think of hard boiled, that means it's like a gritty detective story. So yeah. it's setting you up for that, but it's fucking gritty for sure. But it's also, uh, you know, pointing everything right back at us so that we have this conversation. Because I mean, when I reread it, you know, I've read it a couple of times since we've started, you know, since we, when we agreed we were going to do it. Yeah. Because again, there's just it's so many layers, but I also can't stop thinking about it again. I can't um, shake this feeling that, you know, Miller and Darrow are, are met saying to me, you're not doing enough. <laughs> like, you are... Yeah. Um, because our, our, our character, our hero, air quotes, is Carl. Um, he's just as much of a victim as everybody. And he, at the end, like you said, he, he willingly wants to forget it all. He doesn't yeah. want to know what he knows. He, it's, it's better to be Carl. It's better to be Harry. It's better to be Nixon than it is to be Unit 4 and be aware of the meaninglessness of everything that you're doing. And he's choosing, yeah. at the end, he makes a choice to turn a blind eye, right? Like we yeah. are, like, like, and that's what, again, Miller is, is saying to us this whole time. All the people in here, I mean, there's a scene, I'm just flipping through pages where there's a gas station that's blowing up and yeah. there's a lady holding a baby. Um, really the only person who's paying attention to the explosion. I mean, literally, like she's burping her baby. There's an explosion happening and there's two people sitting on a bench not that neither of them are even looked over. This is on page 48. Neither of them are even looking over at the explosion that is like two feet away from them. The only thing on the entire panel is the dog is kind of looking with curiosity oh, and yeah. nobody else is paying attention at all. And it's like literally an explosion is happening and nobody cares. And I feel like that is such a huge thing to be saying to us. It's like- oh, Well, to be fair, yeah, the, the mechanic cares, but it's probably because it's his petrol station. Right. 
fair. But yeah, there is no one else. And we, we do learn that at least some of the dogs are themselves controlled by the corporation. Right. They're not even dogs. Yeah. 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 But yeah, uh, otherwise, no one else cares. And you would think something like that, you'd, as you say, you might, you know, at least look at. If I'm sitting, well, and they didn't even get up. The, the two, two dudes on the bench, they don't even yeah. move. Like they're genuinely, the way that they're drawn, like the one's got his arm on the back, the other one's talking. There's an explosion happening. I'm, and it's yeah. been happening. It's not like you're catching <laughs> it at the beginning, like where you hear something creak. Because imagine if you're sitting there and you hear something, tires screeching and a building falling over, you'd already start looking before right. the explosion. <laughs> they don't even move. And yeah. it's... Um, it's it's just a, and and I think the big fat guy in the tub, the guy who owns the company that, yeah. that um, I mean obviously he's sloth like he's the he's the worst of the worst of of us all, but he's also consumed himself to the point where he can't even get out of this tub, right? Um, and again, it's like the commentary on the rich getting richer and. Gor- literally gorging themselves. Yeah, with a machine um, to feed him fries and oh, chocolate. Yeah, there's and... the one scene where he's got all the little women all over him. Yeah. It's so weird. But it's... Yeah, he, he is all the sins, really. He is... <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about he is, it. He's seven all in one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's totally true. Yeah, he is gluttony, he is greed, he is, he is sloth, he is, uh, he is lust. Yeah. Um. What do you think of, of the capitalistic nature of this book? Um, you live in a country that's a little bit different than mine. It's not, it's not as though um, you guys don't, you can start your own business if you want to, of course. Um, there's nobody stopping anybody in England from starting a business. People, no. when people start saying, oh, you can't do socialized medicine because then you'll be Venezuela and you'll take over their oil company. I'm like, what <laughs> the fuck? Those two things are in Congress. But what is, and I don't know enough because I've never been to England, so I only know what I know, you know, through books, media, whatever. So, so is this, is, is capitalism run as a muck there as it is here? Because I think this is a pretty fucking accurate description of what capitalism is like in America. Everybody's for sale. Everything is for sale. Everybody has a price. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And that is just the way that we have, we are slowly eliminating a middle class. I'm not trying to sound yeah. like Bernie Sanders. I'm just saying it's <laughs> fact here the middle class gets shit on. Like I'm a working professional, I have degrees, I'm a teacher. So that puts me firmly in the middle class. Whereas a hundred years ago, having the degrees that I have, I would be like hip, hip university professor guy. Yeah, right? You know what I mean? That would mean something. Instead of like guy in a t-shirt making a comic book <laughs> podcast. Do you know what I mean? I mean like, you did take your top hat off when we started. I did, I'm sorry, yes. And I removed my monocle. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but, in the world that where I live, that like my that just means I'm able to to live a like a relatively comfortable middle class life because of of the education that I did, and it's not like I got it for free; I had to pay for it, and still paying yeah. for it. But um, but it, we are a very capitalistic country, and and because I work for a university, um, there isn't really the the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? I mean, sure, nobody at a university gets paid as much as they would like, but there's going to be like the president of my university, she's never going to make 70 times what the faculty member right. makes, right? Whereas in corporations, we know that that's true. So what is it like there? That was a long ramble. <laughs> but what, it, what is it like? I mean, does this ring a bell for you in any way? I think 
for us, we, in some ways we have it better, but also some ways we have it worse because it's not as obvious, which is both good and bad. Like we, obviously we do have the people that are just getting richer and richer from every decision that are made, but I don't think they're as obvious. Like we don't have the, the Jeff Bezos, you know, we don't have the person who has more money than half the world combined. But we have the people who own half of London that you don't hear about on a daily basis. And from whatever happens, they will be getting richer and richer and richer. And yeah, similarly, you have teachers, you have university professors who are on the slow pay grade. And, you know, you've got all the the other businesses that are relying off of them for them to make their millions. And they are. But it's not as obvious. Now, is that better or is that worse? I don't know. Because where we live, I mean, we're all in struggling in the same position. Myself and Dan, we're of a similar age. And trying to buy a house in London. We live in London, but if you know anything about London, it's a bit odd in that it's a sprawling area and you have sort of the outer suburbs, which are described as part of London, but it still takes us half an hour by train to get into London. Does it really? Holy shit. And you're in the It south. can do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can get wow. fast trains, but even that you're looking 20 minutes by train wow. to get into central London. But even for us out here, we wouldn't be able to afford to buy a house. Wow. Never. You guys are both working guys. Like you do well. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. Yeah. And we're both, we both got um, married. So there's two of us. We have yeah. two incomes coming into the household, but, we may, if we're lucky, be able to afford to buy um, an apartment, a flat, but that's going to be 90% on borrowed money. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. For, for me, it was 80% on borrowed money to buy the condo that I'm in, for sure. 30-year <laughs> <laughs> mortgage, baby. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, but to, even to get to that point, to be able to get the deposit, a lot of, a lot of our friends will just will never do it. Yeah. Never. Wow. So it is, so it is, it's like, you know, and right, I mean, right, you have to have a two income family and you have to um, do all those things just to get, just to get what you need. And, and you get, I'm not complaining. I think my life is, is pretty good. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm, oh, absolutely. you know, I know I'm in a better position than, than a lot of other people. And I'm thankful for that. And I've worked hard for that. And, and I don't, um, it bugs me that there are people who are working, I think, harder than me. I grew up a dirt farm. Like my grandparents had a farm. So I grew up like free labor at my grandparents' dirt farm. You know, we like had a fruit farm and I saw what fucking work, man. That's hard. (laughs) That's hard uh, work. And so I know what that is. And um, my wife's family are entrepreneurs. They had their own businesses and they worked themselves 12 hour days to keep their businesses open, you know? And so we come from working people. We work our asses off. And and what's frustrating, what I see in this book, and I think what, he, what, I, what I couldn't get away from is what you're just saying is like, you know, um, we're in the middle of this pandemic and everything sucks. And, and there's still, it doesn't matter though. Amazon is still making money hand over fist. Yeah. And, and I use Amazon, but I'm not going to pretend that I don't. I do. I use it. Well, yeah. not we all use it. And we all complain yeah. about it. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, but that's also the thing is everybody in this comic book is consuming the shit that's killing them. Yeah. And they're just as complicit as we all are in our own undoing. And, and, 
and like you said, it's weird though in England that the Richie Rich, and then it may just be that because you guys have um, a built-in upper class with the monarchy and they, they like take up so much um, space in the, in the media, like you've got, you know, that maybe like, like our royalty is Jeff Bezos and Oprah. They're our, our, they're our royalty. I mean, of course, Harry and Meghan are here now, so yeah, you we, have some, we have some of your royals, I guess. <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? So I wonder, I don't, again, I don't know. It's speculative, speculative but maybe that's why your super richy rich people aren't, um, aren't as fascinating there because I you have these other people that, that suck up the space. Yeah, I think it's partly that, but also it's America was built on the American dream. Sure. And, you know, if you get to that position, there is a certain point in time where everyone looks at you and goes, yeah, well done. And then you sort of go past that and everyone starts going, yeah, all right. Okay, slow down yeah. now. Calm yeah. down. Stop. Fuck off. Stop. <laughs> um, yeah. But we, we kind of don't have that. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but we see you see the person doing hard work, not really getting paid as much and they're still struggling. You kind of go, yeah, well done. And then as soon as someone gets above that, you're a bit like, oh, I don't like you anymore. Ah, nice. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Yeah. We, we like the underdog. Sure. Maybe it's just because we're the scrappy little country. We see. You our- are. Yeah. You're the scrappy little country who, who you know, and it's, that's, that is a good, that's a great point. I think that's really valid. We're a big sprawling fat bastard of a country. <laughs> Like that guy in here, um, which <laughs> facts, just facts. Um, it's because it, it, I can't get away from it. And, and like I said, when we were when we were tweeting today, telling everybody we were going to record, it's like I knew we, there's zero percent chance we could cover anything uh, because every topic that you have, it goes it goes down a you know a rabbit hole. And this this overconsumption culture. There's a page in here that I'm open to um, after a car has been destroyed, one of the many cars. It's on the sidewalk and um, it's, there's like cans and bottles and like car parts, which you would expect, like the engine is all in pieces. But all this shit that's on the sidewalk, you assume has also come from inside his car, but also it's just laying around on the sidewalk. So it's like people have had this beer and they're just throwing it. There's a milk carton there. There's like, I mean, a matchbook, there's cigarettes, there's, I mean, if I zoom in, there's probably all kinds of stuff that I, that I've, if I saw on the street, I'd be like, oh. Um, and so there's this, this wasty culture too. Um, And I think you see, sorry, every time you see inside of a car, it's exactly that. It's like, there is stuff everywhere. It's, it's, it's the wasteful society. And yeah, as you say, some of that has definitely come from inside of his car. So, yeah. And some of it's just laying around on the street. Yeah. And again, for him, for, for them, the two of them, because I'm sure a lot of that was Darrow too, to have the wherewithal to say in 1990 and 1991, you guys got to quit wasting shit. Like yeah. the building, when we moved into our building, there was no recycling in our building. And so we would pack up our recycling and we would drive it. I would drive it up to this place in a different part of the county where all county residents could recycle for free. And I would right. do that. You know, we would like save it up and, and I'd run it up there once a month or whatever. But we finally after six months of fighting and fighting and getting enough people around, we have it here. So we can actually recycle here in our own building. And people were like, no one's ever going to do it. Nobody gives a shit. Now the bins are full. <laughs> we had to get extra bins. Cause it's like, if you make something easy to do, people are more likely to do it than just yeah. throw shit away. We are lazy, lazy people. Right. And that is what he's saying. There is literally like, 
there's a scene where the where the old woman is shooting at Carl and she's holding the baby. And it's a one panel thing. She's standing next to a full garbage can and there's still yeah. garbage all around her. And it's yeah. like, we just like, you can't take the garbage out. You can't put the garbage in. Uh, yeah. What do you do with it? You just chuck it around. You just chuck it around. That's well said. What do you think about the fact that there's just a uh, weapon vending machine? Yeah, I was just looking at that. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if that's a commentary on the future or just a commentary on America. There. <laughs> I think it's that. Because it's not even just guns. You've got grenades. grenades. You've got ninja stars. There's a picture of a child holding a gun. Yep. It's yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're not. They're not small guns. The Bush oh, no. Two Auto Cannon. There you yep. go. That's a name. <laughs> yep. And it says totally fresh. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I want. You don't want your fresh. guns to be stale. Yeah. You don't. No. You don't want to have that happen. But yeah, it's just. Again, I think it's just if you're not careful, this is what we're going to get to. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, just if you said to the normal person over here that you can get hunting rifles in Walmart. I think their mind would explode. I think Walmart has now stopped that though. Fine. Yeah. Um, it, it was actually a lot of it had to do with what happened here in Florida two years ago, the, the Valentine's day massacre in the high yeah. school. That was that cause those kids who survived really became um, advocates for, and oh, they finally, yeah, they, they did a lot of, a lot of good work. And of course people shouted them down and told them they were, it was terrible. But yeah, I think after that happened, because those kids refused to let, what blows my mind is 10 years before what happened here, the Sandy Hook thing happened where an elementary school was shot up in this oh, country. Of course, yeah. I don't know if that made it over there. Um, yeah. That it, And nothing happened then. Walmart didn't pull their guns after that. Yeah. Which is insane. So um, you are correct, though. Getting guns here is pretty easy. Yeah. And getting guns there but, is really difficult. Oh, really difficult. Like, well, anybody who has a gun, who has a weapon, and, no, but, yeah, I think you can get um, you can get a shotgun license, but that's okay. basically for farmers and for keeping land and stuff. Um, pistols, I think, are completely outlawed. So, to the point of when we had the Olympics, they had to get special dispensation, or whatever the really long word is, for. <laughs> the shooters to come into the country with their guns. Oh, right, because that's part of the games. Yeah. Right. So they, they had to put a special law in just for them to be able to enter the country with the guns that they were going to use for the Olympics. For sport. Yeah, but they're completely outlawed. And that was, that was, after, um, that was after the Dunblane shooting, um, which I think was in the 80s. And again, it, it was a school shooting, but just basically overnight, they turned around and said, no, okay, done. And they were outlawed. I mean, it wasn't easy to begin with. Sure. But it was com completely changed after that. Um, and yeah, I think you can get a shotgun license, but that's about it. Wow. But I think wow. that's the only legal way of doing it. But we're not too far off. I mean, who knows? I'm hoping we're going the other way. Um, but yeah, we're not too, so definitely in Texas or Arizona, um, you're not too far off from just having a, bending a gun vending machine that's oh, yeah. fresh. They're super fresh. They're hand oh, cannons. That are super I mean, you, have, like, you have gun markets and stuff where people can just rock up oh, and yeah. say, oh, these are all my used guns. Please buy them. Yes, yes, they do them. And it'll be like at a county fairground. So I don't know if you guys have anything. So like 
every yeah. county in, a, in our country has like a fairgrounds where every summer kids get together and they like go on poorly done carnival rides um, <laughs> done by shady people and you know they throw up and eat too much junk food and there's like a bad band from 10 years ago who's yeah. playing. that's everything oh, yeah. but so those fairgrounds exist and, and when they're not fairs right they'll have gun swaps gun meets they call them gun swaps even and yeah you can just get right around the background check you can just bring your weapons and it is like every kid who grew up thinking that like Stallone's America was the place to be where everyone needed a, a right. and this is true. We would go to these things called flea markets, uh, which was where I got a lot of my comic books, but I was probably 10, 11 years old where with my own money, I bought a Rambo survival knife. <laughs> totally fact. I, you know, like uh, the big, the big one that he has in the second first blood part two, that one, I, I bought that knife for like, eight bucks it had a compass you could unscrew the lid and there was like you could sew yourself up there was like stitching <laughs> kit and i'm not making any of this up it was serrated on one side and it was dull when you bought it but it was still a sharp yeah. point and all you had to do was get a stone and you could sharpen it yeah insane like that's america here kids i, I mean I, there's zero percent chance i was wasn't like with i mean i was wandering around with a friend or something too it wasn't yeah. like i was with my parents so I just bought it. They were like, well, where's your mom and dad? Are you sure they want you to get this? They're like, eight bucks. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how old are you? That's how much it is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. If you were 47, it would be 47 bucks. But because yeah. you're eight, we'll give it to you for eight bucks. Exactly. Um, yeah, it was, it was bananas. That's the world. And so I, I see that kind of, my wife and I are both born in the early 70s. And so we talk about all the time how we always think the 70s were trying to kill us. Like <laughs> everything about the 70s were unsafe, riding in the back of a pickup truck. And I almost feel like, so when I read this book, when I read Hard Boiled, I see my childhood here, right? Yeah. This is, so he had to start thinking about this, as detailed as this is. It wasn't like they thought of this and it happened overnight. So this started in the 80s. So Frank Miller and, and Jeff Darrow are older. Um, so they saw how unsafe and how unsavory it was. And this was, the, the warnings were here for us in the 90s. And now here we are in 2020 and shit, this is still the America oh, yeah. that we have. So what do you think about that as like art as warning? Like here is a book that it is clear, it won an Eisner Award. It's, it's well known. It is an obvious warning, like don't overconsume, pay attention, kind of like follow the golden rule, do unto other kind of thing. Um, or this is the world you live in, and yet we keep inching closer to this. So why do you think it didn't stick? I think because it is art and no one takes it that seriously. Like, um, as good as it is and as amazing as it is, you look at it and you think, that's a great commentary, and then kind of nothing follows from it. You know, you don't walk up to your congressman and show him this comic book and say, this is what we need to stop. These will just ban the comic book. You know, they, <laughs> they don't, there That's isn't the exactly foresight to what see. what would happen. They would yeah. ban the comic book for this being pornographic. instead. Right. Of and they'll say, oh, this comic book, this is going to create all our issues. No, that's not what's going to create the issues. You're missing the point here. Oh, <laughs> that just, you blew my mind. That's exactly, because that is exactly what happened right? When the first high school shooting of like modern era 
the two in Kentucky, these two kids walked in dressed like Leonardo DiCaprio's characters from the Basketball Diaries. So the first thing was to do is to say, well, let's not play the Basketball Diaries. Right. Like the fact that the 16 year olds had shotguns shouldn't yeah. address that. No, that's not important. It's not important. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we nobody wants to see a movie where kids have shotguns and boys are kissing. We're going to ban that. That'll right. solve the problem. If we don't have that, then there'll be no more. No, exactly. <laughs> you, you ban the movies, you ban the music, and everything will be fine. Oh, that is, that's, you said it exactly. You're right. If I showed this, especially to my pearl-clutching Congress people, in court, <laughs> they would definitely be like, yeah, that's pornography. Get rid of that. I'm like, no, dude, yeah. it's not. It's, yeah, I think no. they're, trying to, they're trying to speak to the people that are reading it but you're never going to have a big enough audience to make the sort of differences that you want. And also it is, it is just free issues, free issues, free years in someone's life. It may make a bit of an impact, but you need to also contend with all the other things that are going on in the world as well. And as powerful as art is, is it that powerful? It's a good question. I don't know the answer. I mean, I'd like to think it is, but yet here we are. I know. Here we are having this conversation. Well, I think this ties back into to Darrow's art style. Um, is it so, I mean, we've already talked about the details and there's no way, I mean, we could, we could, like there's one panel, I'm just flipping, there's a panel where a guy has a Batman tattoo on his head. There's no commentary right. on that, it's just there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like there's lots of Simpson other, characters. Yeah, it's, it's insane. <laughs> so it's so good. But um, the, the art style is so graphic too, like especially when like uh, there's a fight, like in that scene, somebody gets his head literally knocked off and you see the head going up and then you see his spine as his head removes itself. So it's, it's not like I'm gonna knock your head clean off and you think of what that would mean like in a cartoon, you'd knock it and the head would just go flying and it'd be like a straight right. line. But in this, literally, the skin from the neck is being separated and you see the spinal column. Um, so is that, while that's amazing that he did that work and it's like, it feels gushy to even look at that scene. Yeah. Do you think that is also, like what you said, someone would just be like, ban that fucking book. Do you think the art is almost too good that it's too much you get overwhelmed when you talked about this being recolored by Dave Stewart, who in my opinion is the greatest working colorist. He's fucking amazing. Um, but when, when uh, Matt and I talked about the walking dead, we talked about how the walking dead benefited from being black and white because yeah. then it, you didn't get overwhelmed by what is clearly blood and gore, but you are completely overwhelmed by the blood and gore in this. So. Yeah. I think, as I say, I've only seen a few pages from the original the way that it was colored and it, it definitely pages like that they had more of a feel in the coloring mm -hmm. rather than you know it wasn't colored to the detail you didn't see the whole character colored and the whole background colored there are some where it's just one color various shades from the middle outwards and it's the feel of the page and yeah i think if if this came out like this originally they probably would have banned it yeah because it is it's it's too much in one way i mean it's not but it is it's it's sensory overload and i think that's 
that is in as great as it is that is one of its shortcomings that it does in some ways go just that step further than you need it to and maybe that is because it has been recolored so it wasn't what they intended and maybe in bits like that they could have kept some of the original idea of the colorings and focused on elsewhere i don't know i'm not a colorist so i don't know yeah i don't have no, that nor am i i just i just think like everything dave stewart does um is amazing he's been doing stuff for hill house joe hill you know uh, stephen king's son joe hill the horror oh writer. yeah yeah he has a series at, D at dc called hill house which is a bunch of horror comics and dave stewart's doing oh, a lot yeah. of the coloring on there and it's fantastic there's a comic series called basket full of heads that's huh. what that's about <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's so good. It is maybe, I think it may be my favorite. It started towards the end of last year and the virus pushed it back. But I think it was maybe my favorite comic of that end of 19, early 20. It's absurd. It's so good. I can't even explain to you. I don't normally like horror comics, but Dave Stewart's coloring on that is, is over the top good. Seriously, I know you're gonna be shocked. It's written by Joe Hill. It takes place in Maine. And, um, it is not a sensory overload as this because Leo Max art isn't quite as, as over the top right. as Darrow's. But if, you, if you're interested in something that is just like, it is what it says it is, basket full of heads, you should, you should, uh, it's so good. But I think of him because he, you know, he did that and he's, he did this recoloring. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that is the sensory overload issue. Um, and maybe that's why, God, maybe that's why the Dread 2012 movie didn't do well because it was in color, like where Dread is in black and white and, and Dread the movie was so yeah. over the top and they did those slow-mo scenes that people were like, I can't handle how filthy and real this, right. this world is. And so it's, it's like when something becomes scary, it's easier to push away. Like I think sensory overload is the word you use, it's so right because it's really easy to just be like, fuck this book, I can't, I gotta put it down, it's giving me nightmares. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you, where, the way that the writing and the art tie together so well, the coloring does feel like it was done slightly apart from that process. If the three of them originally had got together and I think this would be even better than it is, but because he's working from a time difference and he doesn't have the benefit of being in the room while they're doing all the other things, he is kind of having to work on his own. It's still good, but it's just, could it have been a little bit better? Yeah, I, it's, it's, I mean, we don't rate these things on this, but this is, a, you know, on my show, we don't do ratings, but this is, it's damn near perfect for un, as uncomfortable yeah. as it is. It's like, it, you can easily spend, and I would recommend, normally I get people want to buy floppies, but seriously, get a digital version of this. I think that's the way to look at it now. Yeah. Um, because there's a page like where they're at the behemoth, which is kind of like the Walmart or the Costco yeah. or whatever. Um, and it's a full splash page of this supermarket. Um, it was after, after Carl and the old lady get into a fist fight on the street, um, which is fantastic, by the way, because those are all oh. tiny panels. I love that. It's, it's like, brilliant. It's, <laughs> but when you go to the scene, um, Again, there's a big hole through the middle of the thing, and on the outskirts, nobody's paying attention. 
this guy's got a hot dog that's the size of his body and there's a soda can that's filling up the entire cart. The carrot is like seven feet long. And like, that's like the amount of time that you need to spend just on that page. I think if you had a digital version, that page means so much more than if you were just yeah. kind of holding up the comic and it's only that big. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Even for the first read through, I would sometimes just sit here, especially on this page, actually. Yeah. And just, you can zoom in and look at all of the detail and it is, it's ridiculous. The amount of detail, you know, yeah. even on the, in the checkouts, Oh, where all the people the have all the things yeah. going through and yeah. just the smallest things. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I can't. And again, in this, there's a few people who are actually paying attention, but in the supermarket scene at the very bottom of the screen, if you look like to the, go straight to the bottom where the green haired lady is and go to the left, there's a guy yeah. punching a woman in the face. Yeah. And no one around there talk about, no one's helping. Yeah, everyone's just looking at that as it's normal. Well, no one's actually looking at it. Yeah. It's like, hmm. that's just a thing. Yeah, it is, uh, it is, um, Darrow has gone on to do other great things, but I feel like this is his Mona Lisa, it'll, um, I mean, I would say this page of the supermarket, you should frame it, but it would also be disturbing to walk by every day and look, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, I'm not sure I want to see that every morning when I wake up and go to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It might be a bit much. It might be a bit much, especially for people who work retail. You'd be like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to see this. It's, it's something else. It is, yeah. it is, um, yeah, and there's just so many amazing shots. One last question I have is we've, we've gone well over an hour and I feel like, like I said, we've barely scratched the surface, but it can take us down so many rabbit holes, which means it's, it's excellent work. Oh, what do you think about the family, the wife and kids? That is, that's a weird one. Because it's never, it's never fully explained if they're robots as well. You would assume they are one would hope they are but um yeah so it's just after he's had his memory wiped and implanted and then he's he's woken up um with the kids they're trying to they're having an argument what caused his nightmares which i think is one of the best little conversations i've ever had whether it was the meatloaf or the monsters but it's the best conversation yeah <laughs> The kid, the kids get sent off back to bed and then he tries to get to sleep, but can't, he's having all the flashbacks. He's having all the nightmares, the memories and without getting too graphic, she seduces him into um, sort of distraction Yeah. whilst at the same time, the kids come back into the room, which was fucked up, man. They just sit there and yeah. watch with yeah. grumpy faces at the end of the bed while their parents are having sex. Yeah. And then they inject him with a sedative. Yeah. And put into the sleep. It's. I can understand why they did it, but also it's a bit weird. Here's my theory. Let me let me pitch this to you. They're okay. humans. Those are her children. This is the job she has. She is kind of at the at the um, 
mercy of whatever. So like back in the prospecting days in America when we were westward expansioning and continuing to push Native Americas out of, out of land that they've lived in for thousands of years and pretended yeah. that God told us to do it, white people, go. So as they were going, doing their awful shit to Native Americans, there was also awful shit they were doing to each other where someone would set up a town, a rich asshole would set up a town, this goes back to the greed stuff, and so we're going to bring you in and you're going to work in this mining town. Cool. Well, there's only going to be one store and it's going to be owned by the guy who runs the mining town. So if you don't want to work in the mining town, that's totally fine. You can build land, but you're going to buy the land from me and you're going to buy shit from my store. And so everyone kind of works and lives for free. And it's this big, you know, they don't, there's no real money changing hands. So you work all month at the, in the mine, but your wife and children have gone into debt feeding themselves at your store. And so now you don't get paid. So this is just my theory. That's what it's based on that concept that she has probably owes this giant corporation, the, the um, appliance factory that for which Carl works, she owes them so much money for whatever it is. So her, the only way she can get out of debt is to do this job is to pretend to be Carl's wife and in, in exchange, she and her children get to have this house. That's my theory. What do you think? It's a plausible theory. It's also a disturbing one. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I, but this it does, is a disturbing book. Yeah, I, I was because the family appear again later on. It's only for one page. So I was just trying to find that. Yeah, they're back towards you know, the end. Yeah. Uh, they are in like page 84. There's a scene where. Yeah. So here it is. is the little, yeah. the kid, the boy is holding the gun and says, if he's finally lost it, there'll be hell to pay. Mm -hmm. So you could be right. You know, it's, the, that's not. The dogs are clearly robots because the dogs are talking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, the boy <laughs> has a gun that is, he's actually pointing at the back of his sister's head. And then. He's like, the gun is as big as him, right? Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, I, I just feel like, right, they need, they need him. Without him, without, if he's gone rogue, they failed at their job, which is to keep him from going rogue. And if they are no longer an employee, if they're no longer doing the thing that they're doing, they're there to keep the implants in, in Carl's head to make him think he's human and he needs a wife and kids yeah. to do that. So if they don't have that, then they're going to be out on the street. That's just, I could yeah. be totally wrong. I could be because missing something. Norman also describes them as the support system. Right. Before Which would Norman be. His head ripped off. Yeah. Poor old Norman. Because <laughs> if you, especially in the situation they're in, that with the, the robots and there's a potential uprising, you wouldn't risk putting him with more robots. Right. So yeah, it would make sense to put him with a human family that, for whatever reason is under your control yeah and um, financially i mean this woman yeah. if she's got these kids they're twins maybe and they're little they they don't talk like they're little but they're little oh, yeah um you know they need well none of the kids in this book they all are uh wise we'll say wise beyond their years yeah so that's good <laughs> or bad uh it's probably bad it's definitely bad i think it's bad yeah um <laughs> As someone who has raised children, all my children are adults now. So if they were living this life when they were that little, that would be uh, horrific. So, yeah, that's my theory. I don't know if I'm wrong. I would love to hear. You know, I know Steve always read this, so I hopefully he'll 
he'll have a thought on this. But yeah, I mean, it's disturbing. What else could it be, though? I mean, like you thought, maybe because they're the support system, they're also robots. Maybe they're yeah, just that was... controlled robots. They don't need as much autonomy as Carl, because Carl has to go out and make decisions in the world where all they have to do is keep Carl under control. So that could be. Yeah. Yeah, it's potential. Yeah. But then you'd also think that they would be, knowing that they're there, they would be a target for the uprising. They're there. They're easy to get to. Yeah. They're probably, in, yeah, in one way, in some way, they, they're unlikely to go through the sort of troubles that um, Carl has. But on the other hand, they're also possibly easier to manipulate by the other robots to sort of say, well, actually, this is what you are. If someone, if like Unit 2 came to one of these and did what she did to Unit 4 and basically shot him four times and says, have you ever wondered why you're so strong? Yeah. I think you guys would probably go, well, actually, yes, I have. Thank yeah. you for asking. <laughs> yes, I think about it every goddamn day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you mention it, it's quite curious. Yes. Whereas because Carl's going through everything else, his whole mind is all over the place and he's just not going to accept it. Yeah. But yeah, actually, I think it could be right. It would make sense that they are. It's disgusting. And it's also part of why the, the, and again, it's just me trying to explain things away, but when the kids do come in that scene, you describe the kids come in while the parents are having sex and the look on their face is like disappointment more than, like they stand there. They're aware of what's happening. Mm. It's not like, what's going on there isn't shock on their face. So to me, they see it as like, we know what's happening. This is the gross thing mommy has to do. Right. I, I don't know what she has to do. Yeah. Get it over with. Get the injection they, out. Right. I don't know. So, yeah, it's weird. so um, I don't have an Alexa in my house or any talking robots. I shut all the phones off, all my phones. None of my devices can hear me. I shut them all off. Um, not like smashed them or anything, but like I shut all that <laughs> shit off as best as I can. Um, are you worried about um, robot uprising? Are we treating our robots poorly? Do you treat your robots in your life poorly? I just shut, I mute mine. So maybe they're going to love me or hate me. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, they're quietly swearing at you. You just can't <laughs> That's hear right. Them. Fucking asshole. I only have one <laughs> thing to do and you don't ever say, hey Siri, you always just type it in yourself and then you hit the period instead of a space bar, you jackass. I, you know, right. Yeah, I do. I find it weird when people speak into their phone. Is that just me? It's so I do weird. Too. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're on a phone call, do a phone call. If you're texting someone, text them. Like, what's that all about? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, I've actually got, um, I won't say her name because she's right next to me. And she's, she's right next to you. Me. Oh, and she's she might. Right next to me. Become sentient. Um, yeah. Luckily, you have headphones on, so she didn't hear me say it. No, yes, exactly. She'll get going a bit crazy right now. Oh, it's him, <laughs> the one that mutes us. Oh, <laughs> um, but no, yeah, we've got a few. We've got one in most of the rooms at this point because mm -hmm. we started with one or two and my wife likes music. So we yeah. got more. She liked to listen to it wherever she was in the house. Yeah. So, they so you grew. can just say so-and-so play that. And then she does. Yeah. Um, well, do you, yeah. I mean, it's just weird. I mean, obviously we've humanized all these things, right? Like, yeah. We've given her a name and, you know, Siri is not a name, but it's become a name. Like, hey, Siri. Yeah. And so, so um, and all of them have names. I think the one on uh, Microsoft is Cortana. You know, they've given yeah. them names. Um, is that, 
and again, Frank Miller couldn't have known in 1981 that this was no. going to happen. But is this the beginning? And again, the Philip K. Dick nightmare of, of and then, you know, Isaac Asimov with all of his, his yeah. iRobot stuff. So there's always been this fear that the robots are going to take over. But in this world, the robots are not trying to take over. They're just trying to quit being treated like shit. Right. Um, so is that what it is? Is the reason that the robots always want to take over is, again, is it human, humanity's fault? If we just treated them with a little more respect, they wouldn't want to take over? Yeah, probably. Right. <laughs> it's the iRobot thing again. The, that movie was a great movie. And yeah. it made you, everyone sort of look at themselves because I think we, you could potentially get to that point. They're striving to get AI better and better all the time. They want machine learning. They want computers who can think for themselves. But we know we're human beings. We know we're a bunch of assholes. Yeah. How long is it for a robot to go, yeah, actually you're an asshole? Is it really that much of a good idea to get something that can learn <laughs> and know what to do about it? I mean, at least don't give them legs and arms, please. Right. Well, and there, Frank's a lot of, you know, we talked about uh, one Arnie movie, but there's also a lot of Terminator in here too. Yeah. You know, so, and again, I, I don't know enough about it. You know, I, Frank Miller, you know, he's a genius. I trust him to come up with his own ideas. But, you know, you still, you can't help but be influenced by pop culture. But there's a lot of Terminator in Carl. Oh, yeah. I think there was a lot of this sort of discussion going on at the time. It, it wasn't yeah. all the media, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, and it, was, it wasn't. It. Right. I wasn't really. I was three years old, so I can't really. But say no, it. you were right. It is, it's because <laughs> it was when we, um, is when we made the move to, right, everybody started personal computers. The prices started to become cheaper. Yeah. Um, you know, and now it's like, I, I've only actually had a smartphone for a couple of years. I, I kind of fought the power on that a little bit. I had one for a minute. I realized I was overusing it. So I got rid of it and I had like a, you know, looks like a keyboard phone, you know, slide yeah. phone. And I like that better. I actually preferred that. But now that I live away from my children and it's just easier to FaceTime them and that's what yeah. they prefer, which is nice. Then you can see them, you know, we're looking at each other. So I'm not opposed to that kind of technology, but yeah, I think you're right. When we were reaching the end of the 80s into the 90s, when the when the computer generation was happening, and and the the old guard, as it were, the the, the boomers or not the boomers, the greatest generation were aging, and these boomers were all using technology, and so there was fear of of not only will the next generation replace us, but technology will replace us. And I think yeah. now we've just come to the fact that we just embrace our electronic overlords. Yeah, but then that's always been the case. That's, you can go through history you can find when people were complaining about television was going to ruin people's lives you can oh, go back sure. and see when people were complaining that the radio was going to ruin people's lives when print media was going to do books, it. books yeah like, there was the argument if you make books happen then people will not have to remember things anymore because they can write right yeah. i mean I, I i don't remember much of anything so maybe they were right on that one <laughs> i'm a bad example for that one well, my memory fair. is terrible you remembered a lot about this you knew, you knew what happened in norman you couldn't uh, get it out of your brain. So. Poor old Norman. I know. Well, I, I seriously, I said publicly, and I say it again, there was a 0% chance we could have covered just a fraction of this. Oh. So I'm going to wrap it up here because we've gone and gone. And, and literally, we could, we could do this again in two months and have a totally different conversation. Oh, yeah. so there's a bunch of stuff I didn't even want that I wanted to talk about that I didn't. So yeah, same here. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. So before we go, Tell everybody uh, where everybody can find you on the interwebs about the show that you're on and whatever else you do out there. 
So the, the main place you can find me is on the Twitterverse. I am at Paul Damac, P-A-U-L-D-A-M-A-C. And I've started to put together a, a website as well, superdummy.co.uk. It's nice. kind of got, it's mostly just got notes from our episodes so far, some of the key points, but I did write a small piece about the origins of Spider-Man from our episode with Matt. Um, we learned so much there um, about where a lot of the inspiration came from. So I put a bit of an article up on that, but nice. that's a work in progress. I will link to that for sure. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. But yeah, those, those are the main ways. Twitter is sort of my main, yeah, my main way at the moment. For sure. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. So normally I'm the one who would say this is the song, but let me just say this and then I'm going to throw it back to you because you picked. So um, thanks everybody for listening. And um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Tricycle Boombox. You can read my stuff on DC Comics News, on Fantastic Universes. Um, I do have my own website. It's just my initials, arfarina.com, where you have links to this very podcast and everything else in the Comics in Motion, plus other things I've written. The stuff I read for Audiophile Magazine, everything. If you haven't read uh, my review of the Sandman audiobook, you should. And then you should listen to the Sandman audiobook. So you can find me there. So um, I will see everybody next time. I'm going to throw it to Paul because he's going to tell us what song will be playing us out. Yes. So this was a, this was a happy coincidence. This played just after I had finished reading the comic. So when this plays, I want you to look at the last page and picture in your head Barbara walking away and all her heroes have turned away from her. So the song is Slash No More Heroes. <laughs>